welcome to Season 5, Episode 2 of Viking Story. My name is Alan Laycock-Fuchs, and you are listening to an accompanying podcast to a novel that I've written. And as I spoke about in the last episode, today we're going to look at the genre of my novel, which I've termed academic historical fiction. Now, this idea has been in my head for a while, and what's interesting is that my contact at St. Clair Publications, uh, the COO added it to the contract independently. So he wrote, genre of novel, academic historical fiction. So to say that we're on the same wavelength would be an understatement. He definitely gets my novel, and yeah, this is this is the this is the term. So, what does the name mean? Obviously, it's a blending of historical fiction, which I think everyone knows what that is, right? And academic. So I think everyone also knows what academic material is. So this is a a blending of the two genres, um, which, as I said, I've I've deemed academic historical fiction. Now, the reason that this has come to be is because. I myself, I obviously love to write historical fiction, but I don't like reading historical fiction per se, which, yeah, might sound a bit strange. What I do enjoy reading is more academic material. So, and yeah, this is just the way my brain is, is hardwired. Um, and, I, and for a long time, I never knew anyone like myself. Uh, but over, over the years, um, especially as I got into adulthood, I did find a few other people that are like-minded in a sense. And one of them is a hockey player, or a former professional hockey player now, named Dustin Bufflin. And for those of you who don't know Dustin Bufflin, he was a big NHL defenseman. Sometimes he played on the wing as well, but mostly he was used in defense. And he was very similar to Tim Horton, for example, uh, who, by the way, was also a, a very famous NHL hockey player. A lot of people these days only know Tim Hortons as the coffee and donut chain. Tim Horton, the hockey player, was the the founder, came up with the idea. And what's strange is nowadays nobody nobody remembers Tim Horton, the player. They just know Tim Hortons, the restaurant. But he was quite famous in his own right back in the day. And I'm talking, you know, NHL All-Star, four-time Stanley Cup champion. He's in the Hockey Hall of Fame. He was a few years ago listed as one of the top 100 greatest players in NHL history. Like, this guy was no joke. This this guy was uh, serious. And uh, just a beast of an athlete as well. Uh, he was still playing in the NHL at the, end, at the age of 44. He unfortunately passed away in a tragic car accident. But just a really big, strong, skillful player who uh, referees at the time said, thank goodness this guy is so calm, so mild-mannered, because he could do a lot of damage if he really wanted to. But like Dustin Bufflin, who was equally a beast on the ice, equally strong and equally mild-mannered, uh, he's, a in, a in a way, a very scary individual because a lot of guys, he'd be less scary if he just yapped his mouth all the time and chirped everyone, but Dustin Bufflin didn't do that. He... You knew he could kill you. He didn't have to say it, and that was more terrifying. But yeah, he was also very skillful and let his skills kind of keep the, his opponents in check. But uh, to get back to my original point, so Dustin Bufflin, former famous all-star NHL defenseman, but he himself didn't like watching hockey. So it's kind of a parallel there with me. I like writing historical fiction. I don't like reading it. He liked playing hockey didn't necessarily like watching it. So if you were to ask Dustin Bufflin who was his favorite player growing up, didn't really have one, you know, didn't really watch hockey. You ask him about even famous players like that, that hockey fans would know, like Joe Sackick. 
he he has no idea who that was. Uh, so he he was obviously good at hockey. He enjoyed playing it enough that he made a career out of it, but it wasn't something that he would actively pursue in his, his free time. Whereas other guys, like uh, there's, a, there's a kid I grew up with on my street, a friend of my brother's actually, Casey Sezikis. He, uh, we played road hockey a lot together. He's, he actually ended up becoming a professional athlete. He actually currently still plays in the NHL. What does Casey do in his free time? He'll play hockey, you know, like that's, that, that, that's what you would expect. Somebody that's, that loves a sport, but Dustin Bufflin wasn't like that. And there's nothing wrong with that. Just like there's nothing wrong with me not necessarily enjoying reading historical fiction, but I enjoy writing it. Uh, it's just, again, the way that our brains are hardwired uh, in some cases. So this is, this is sort of where the name and, and the idea sort of started to form because for me, if I was going to read a historical fiction novel, it would be nice if I could also learn something along the way. So let's get into academic historical fiction and what it actually is. So the idea came to me originally from when I was studying in Iceland. So back then, I was actually allowed to go into the, the building where they housed these medieval manuscripts. And I was able to go into a room, I could sort of rent one out, and I could leaf through it and observe it and read it. And what was crazy to me is that they just left me alone in this room with this book. Like, I, I could have done anything to this book and uh, this, this historical relic, you know, but they trusted me. And uh, yeah, I just thought that was a bit weird. But yeah, it was so cool to be able to be, you know, in the same room with these materials, to be able to touch them, feel them, turn the pages. They were very delicate. You had to be careful with them, but you were able to sort of discover them on your own. And I remember I was reading... A manuscript from Middle Ages and just kind of going through the pages and it was a beautiful document and I was going through and, and then I noticed at one point at the bottom sort of in the margin there was a doodle of a person pulling a wagon and I just thought that's weird like who did that it, it somehow looked like it belonged to the manuscript like it didn't look like something that someone had done with a pen recently it looked like they'd used like the proper ink and everything but it, it it stood out as very odd. And I asked um, afterwards, I said, hey, you know, as I was leafing through that manuscript, there was a doodle in there. Like, what, what was that about? And they said, oh, yeah, sometimes the monks, when they got bored, they would just do a doodle in the margins. The margins at that time weren't considered part of the book. So any doodles that they did in the margins was just a doodle and you weren't supposed to notice it. And I thought, well, that's odd, but um, gave me the idea that okay, maybe I could put something in the margins of my book as well. And that's when I got the idea to, to create this, this genre called academic historical fiction. So you would have the historical fiction text, the story, the plot line, the novel itself, but in the margins, you could have these sort of teachable moments where you just have like a, a little scribble, a handwritten note or something along those lines that would provide further sort of academic historical context to something that you're reading on that page or something that you've just read or or just about to read so i always try to place them where it was relevant and yeah for me this would be something that would get me into a historical fiction novel because hopefully people are engrossed anyways with the plot line and the storyline but for me having these moments where you're building upon your knowledge throughout and i should mention as well that obviously my historical fiction novel is historically accurate to the best of my ability in uh, in the context that 
of course, my main character is completely fictional, but the events and everything that happens and the people and when there is historical matter in my novel, it is as it is presented as accurately as I possibly could present it. So, and actually, the novel itself, it's a first-person novel, so it's it's from the perspective of Bloodsword. So he's kind of the narrator in a lot of parts as well. It, you can read his thoughts, and he'll sort of give some context as well. But nonetheless, I think it's nice to have these margin notes as well that are more, as I say, academic and, and factual, I guess, and just to provide a little bit more information, a little bit more context to the story that you're reading. So this was the idea behind it. And certainly, you know, the argument could be made, you know, is it a good idea to create a new genre for your first novel? You know, arguably not. Maybe I should have maintained the status quo. Maybe this is too ambitious. I don't know. And, and this was something that I struggled with in my own mind as well. I thought, should I just, you know, stick to the status quo? This is, this is a form that has worked for decades, centuries. This is the way people write novels. I shouldn't rock the boat. And I always thought, you know, maybe, maybe once I'm a successful author, perhaps, then I could experiment with, with different genres. But then I thought, if there's one thing I've learned in my life, it's that sometimes you only get one shot at something. And this might be my only shot uh, at publishing something. So you've got to give it your best shot. And just to kind of go back to my, my acting days, like, there's no point going into an audition and not giving it your best shot and thinking, well, you know, if they if they take me on, then then I'll do better, you know, or then I'll, you know, no, it doesn't work that way. Like you've you you've only got one chance to make a first impression. So, and I want this to be if if this is the only novel that I ever publish, if it's not successful, I at least want to go out on my own terms. I wanted to give this a shot. I I didn't want to have any regrets. I didn't want to look back and say, well. You know, my novel wasn't successful, and I also didn't give it my best shot. I was kind of planning on maybe giving it my best shot two or three novels down the road. No, I I wanted to do this. So, look, I'm not saying it's a great idea. It is ambitious. It is risky. But at the same time, I wanted to do things my way. This is my one shot. So this is the reason that I created a new genre called Academic Historical Fiction. And uh, this is the direction that I've decided to go in with my with my novel. So now you know. Now you know all about the genre, about academic historical fiction, the uh, history behind it. But before we go, there it is, that lovely Viking horn sound indicating that it's time for announcements. So if you're looking for an editing tool for your podcast and you want to support this podcast in the process, then please click the Alito link in the episode description below. Alito is a program I can highly recommend. Makes my life easier when I come to editing my episodes, simplifies everything, and lets you focus on creating content more than the editing process. Also, head over to stclairpublications.com, check out the publica publication house that published my novel, Speaking of which, uh, if you are interested in buying my novel, you can find it currently on Amazon. Just search for my name, Alan Laycock Fuchs. You can find that in the episode description below as well. That's it for this episode. In the next episode, we're going to look at some of the unique selling points of my novel that go beyond just the genre. But until then, if you're a fan, if you'd like to get in touch, if you've got questions, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach me via email at vikingstoryfaq at outlook.com. Once again, that's vikingstoryfaq 
Thank you all for listening, and cue Thor's thunder.